What's up, Warriors? Guy Beverage with Protectors Toolkit, Christian Safety and Security Made Simple. You know, I'm, I'm so pleased you're joining us for Warrior Wednesday tonight. However you're consuming this content, whether you're consuming it live with us right now, I certainly appreciate you Warriors being here or you're consuming it later on. I certainly appreciate you re-watching this broadcast. I think you are going to get a tremendous blessing out of this broadcast. I think it's going to be something uh, that you may not have ever been exposed to before. And I'm so, uh, so blessed that I have my friend Mike Gillette on here with us tonight. You know, I always start out with our Bible verse to tell you what we're all about here at Protector's Toolkit. Proverbs 18, 15, it says it this way, an intelligent heart acquires knowledge and the ear of the wise seeks knowledge. In the easy to read version, the version I sometimes read for myself or for my kids, it says it this way, wise people want to learn more, so they listen closely to gain knowledge. And that's really what we're all about here at Protectors Toolkit is that knowledge. We want to give as much knowledge to you, the warriors, the ones on the front line of your church, making sure that people that attend your church can have comfort, refuge, worship, and learning, and they can have it in a safe atmosphere. So I applaud you. I do also want to make sure that you notice and pay attention to that I call you warriors. And there's a very specific reason for that because you are warriors. In Exodus 15, 3, really early on in the Bible, it tells us everything we need to know. The Lord is a warrior and the Lord is his name. And then we go further into the Bible and we learn that we are made in the image of the Lord himself. So you are warriors. When you stand up in your church, when you go into your church to be a protector of others, you are a warrior like no other. I often com uh, compare you to Nehemiah. Working on the wall, rebuilding the wall, you got a sword in one hand and you're working with the other and you're being very diligent in the way that you're doing that, making sure that you're protecting others while you're doing that uh, work that is of the kingdom. So thank you, Warriors, for being here tonight on another Warrior Wednesday. I'm just I'm going to get into it right here because, man, I just tell you, I, I, I cannot be around this guy enough. Mike Gillette, I, I'm so thankful to call him a friend of mine. Uh, we we knew we. Uh, I'll just tell you quite frankly how we met each other. We met each other at a gymnastics uh, event of all places for two warriors to come together, and uh, we stood out in the hallway away from uh, everybody else that was in the room and just had a good time chatting with each other. Uh, Mike has come to uh, to this area and we visited for a little bit, and I actually uh, unintentionally put him to work uh, a little bit while he was here, while I sat off to the side and visited some of his kids. But let me just tell you about a little bit about Mike. I'm going to read this. Uh, from his, from a little bit of his bio, uh, he, he grew up as a poor, uh, poor, scared, scrawny kid amidst violence in his own house. And, you know, that would just drive you to do certain things. Uh, he was a kid who ultimately became an army paratrooper. Now, just let me tell you this, Warriors, that is some of the toughest training out there. When you have to willingly get into a plane that is functioning perfectly well and throw yourself out into the atmosphere and hope for the best that that T10, that round canopy opens up over your head, that is a warrior right there. That is somebody who is a warrior. He then went on to become a SWAT commander, a government counterterrorism consultant, a bodyguard to Fortune 500 CEOs, and record-breaking motivational strongman whose feats have been documented by Guinness World Records and Ripley's Believe It or Not. And all of this brought him to a practitioner and purveyor of peak performance. He's a pioneer in this. If you want to see some amazing feats of strength, if you want to see Mike uh, folding up a skillet like you would have in your house uh, very handily, if you want to see him bending horseshoes very handily, you can go on YouTube and find any number of those videos. 
I, I never knew that I would know somebody who has broken a Guinness Book of World Record uh, before. And the way he did it, I encourage you to find that out. I'm not going to give that away. You can find that out on your on your own. Just a, a, a crazy, um, just a savage in the way he did that. Uh, over 50 years old, I don't know if he minds me saying that, but he's still continuing today to be a mind boss. He is all about the, menta the, the mind being your best weapon in everything that you want to do. So without further ado, let me introduce you all to my friend, uh, a mentor of, of mine, Mike Gillette. Mike, I'm so glad you're here tonight. Great to be with you, Guy. Thank you for the enthusiastic introduction. Yeah, yeah, you know, uh, it just every time we get together, I just glean more and more. I feel more and more sharpened. Um, it, it's just it's just phenomenal. And if, it, if that's not enough, he has so many grandkids and he has kids and his wife is a is a is a medevac pilot. And that's 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 just a, what a what an amazing life you live, sir. I'm just uh, just in awe of it. Well, it, uh, it's it, it it's been uh, a very blessed, very, very interesting ride. I'll just I'll just leave it at that. Yeah, <laughs> we'll, we'll leave all the color commentary that we've had uh, in the past out there in the hallway where we had. <laughs> so, brother, let me just get into this. I think this is so important for church protectors, warriors. You know, those people who uh, have done some of the same things that we've done in our life. We've we've been protectors of others at, at, at given points in our life. I think it's it's vitally important to have this information. So let me just ask you, how important is mindset for a church protector? Well, the um, the challenge when we, we start to wade into the waters of uh, any topic, you know, sort of pertaining to the mind is we really have to make sure that we're bringing everybody along and everyone has sort of a clear frame of reference. And... Uh, you know this from uh, the people that you teach now. Uh, when you say mindset, 10 different people in the group are going to have 10 different sort of internal definitions of what that, that may or may not be. And uh, because so many people that I have encountered in the, the church protector community sort of come from either, you know, they were an LEO or maybe they were a reserve LEO or they're just, you know, part of the shooting community. There's their CCW people, uh, things like that. Um, within those realms, the word mindset often gets blurred into something that, in my view, isn't mindset. So I'm going to sort of start by trying to quantify what this thing is, and then we can sort of take it from there based on how you'd like to go. So when uh, I use the term mindset, uh, I look at it as kind of a neutral term. It's like physique. Everyone has a physique. Everyone has a mindset. Now, some people have uh, built their physique uh, to an extraordinary level of function. Uh, some people have developed their mindset to an extraordinary level of function. Uh, then there are also people who never really worked on their physique, but because of amazing uh, genetics, they have this, this very capable physique. And some people have that uh, with, with mindset as well. They just seem to be unburdened by second guessing themselves. They, they seem to have an abundance of conviction. So they seem to be the type of, of person that, that has sort of cracked the code on, on mastering one's mindset when uh, oftentimes those are people who've never really given it a lot of conscious thought. So mindset is simply uh, the collection of uh, attitudes that we, we carry around, the collection of experiences we have, as well as whatever level of training we have attained or not. So 
all of those uh, attributes in, inform our mindset. And our mindset, again, in my view, because there's no official definition, uh, is really a means to describe how effectively you can harness uh, the powers that reside within the mind. While also being cognizant, this is where it gets even blurrier, when I approach training of any type, I don't really uh, discriminate between everything from the neck up and everything from the neck down because they're so uh, integral uh, with one another. Meaning that when you train, if, if uh, you take a group out to the range uh, and you're introducing them to firearms and, and whatever you know, basic, basic uh, physical uh, skills they need to have in that context, um, Yes, th those are physical things. Watch what I'm doing. Now you do those things, but you're, you're also creating changes uh, in the mind as well. They're very subtle and they're, they're much more physiology rather than psych psychology uh, driven at that point, but neither uh, capacity operates in a vacuum. So uh, that, that's important to understand, but it's also important not to misunderstand, which means that uh, hey, I'm going to the gym today. I'm training my body and my mind. Well, yes, but make sure you understand specifically what you're training mind-wise and what you're not. You're, you're training your mind to accept new levels of output uh, to function despite maybe not wanting to because, gosh, I'm tired. Uh, gosh, this is heavy. It's hot in here. I'm bored. Uh, so you can you can teach your mind to to function despite uh, external factors that might uh, prompt some people not to do the thing, but you're not really teaching yourself beyond that unless you're teaching yourself beyond that, and that requires you know some sort of you know sub supplemental uh, skill building drill or or, or knowledge based derived uh, methods that that you're also trying to bring into yourself is is any of that making sense so far oh yeah absolutely a absolutely it's got to be uh it's a direct focus right uh that is a phrase that comes up a lot uh because i i think people have an idea of what it is to concentrate uh, people have an idea of what it is to, uh, to focus on something uh because everyone has a sense of what losing focus feels like you know, I, I was working really diligently on, on my term paper and then just my head felt fuzzy and I, I stood up, I walked around the room, I got a drink of water, took a few deep breaths, okay, sat back down and, and I, I'm back at it again. So we, we know what it is to uh, be in a moment of extreme concentration uh, and oftentimes we also have experienced where we've sort of lost ourselves in a particular activity. Uh, we use phrases like, Man, I was in the zone. Uh, you know, I just just lost track of time. Uh, some people will describe that as like being in flow or being in a flow state, which may or may not be true because there's some you know, some additional parameters there. But we recognize that our states uh, change over time. Sometimes we feel much more productive. Sometimes we feel almost effortlessly productive. Uh, that's a pretty special feeling. And that's not something that uh, most people find that they can force. I'm just, now it's effortless. You know, that, that seems sort of paradoxical. Uh, and typically that comes at higher levels of training. You know, when, when you've just, uh, you've implanted certain skills and then you've refined those skills 
to a point where they start occurring uh, in the subconscious rather than the conscious. So here's an example of what that means. And I think most people can relate to this. If you think back to when you were a young person, you were first learning how to drive an automobile. For almost everybody, that's a very stressful experience. And there's a particular reason for that. It's not just because the implications, you know, are, are, are pretty serious. You know, there are safety factors. Uh, if you do this poorly, you could get hurt or worse. But what happens when you first seat yourself in the car and there's typically someone alongside you who's now do this, now do this, now do this. And they're in those moments uh, are a seemingly endless succession of, of different disparate tasks. And you're wondering in those moments, how am I ever going to remember to do all of this? It's, it's overwhelming. And the reason it feels overwhelming is because when you are learning to drive, just like when you're learning any new skill, you're learning with your conscious mind. Now, the conscious mind can handle about uh, seven bits of information per second uh, if you're the average person, maybe five if you're slow. Uh, or nine if you're exceptional, but seven is sort of average. And bits just sort of mean like disparate uh, pieces of information, which means that if you're trying to assimilate the myriad of tasks that are necessary to safely operate a motor vehicle and you have no previous experience with that, you're, you're doing each one of those things with a separate little part of your mind. And the mind gets overburdened quickly, which is why you know, five, 10 minutes into your first driving lesson, you feel like you've been awake for 48 hours. It's just like the amount of attention and concentration and focus, as you said, uh, is just feels unmanageable. Now, here's what happens though. Over time, repetition occurs. We start to refine through repetition, these particular skills. And eventually you learn to operate a motor vehicle the way that uh, an Olympic level uh, pole vaulter or a high level ballerina does what they do subconsciously. They've internalized the mechanics to a point where now they're thinking about how well they're doing it, how creatively, how artistically, what sort of impressions they can create, you know, if they're a creative person or if they're the athlete, you know, how can they mitigate things like uh, competing at different elevations uh, factoring in uh, wind direction, wind speed, those kinds of things. Now they're problem solving at a very advanced level. Well, we do the same thing in car, okay? Now you're so accustomed to driving, you might be eating, you might be fiddling with the radio, you might be touching your phone, unless you're watching this podcast, you never do that. Uh, but you're, you're multitasking in some way. And then all of a sudden, just like a basketball rolls out into the street, you don't think, you don't consciously process it, you just immediately apply the brakes. So we can get very good at very complex things, even if we are just typical people. So what happens uh, with mindset is the more that we internalize the physical skill. So let's say we're talking in a church protector context uh, for those that, that carry some type of weapon, that's proficiency with that weapon. For some that may, only be working on hand skills, it's proficiency with those skills. Proficiency to the point that you're not consciously thinking, you know, mm -hmm. if they do X, I do Y. If, you know, if, if they do Y, I do Z. It's just, um, 
I'm simply going to process everything that's unfolding in front of me and the person takes a step towards me, I'm going to do something based on my training, based on all of these, these variables that I've internalized. And when I get to the point where things are more uh, automated, that's uh, sort of an old uh, 1950s Russian sports psychology term, automation. When we get to the point where things are automated, that's when we can focus more on our powers of perception, our powers of problem solving. You know, what, what is it that I think I'm seeing? Why do I think I'm seeing that? What is it that they are saying? Is what they're saying actually what they mean? Is it a ruse? You know, are they trying to get closer to me by distracting me? Are they emotionally disturbed? Is this you know, a bona fide uh, criminal event unfolding before me? All of these things, we're much better at discerning if the mechanics have been effectively mastered. So there, there's, a, there's a point of learning where we, we have to learn new things. And, and oftentimes with the church protection team, you're bringing in people that don't have necessarily an extensive background in the, those particular uh, disciplines, but you know they, they want to help out and they want to get involved. So they're, they're willing to work, which means they're willing to put in the flight hours to you know, get proficient. Uh, so that they, they can uh, fulfill this vital role. So there's a, a mechanical integration part that really sort of precedes uh, high-level mindset skills, but that isn't to suggest that mindset skills aren't uh, a significant factor in the early stages too. So in the early stage, what we need to uh, do to really sort of prepare our people is make sure that they have a clear sense of what this new, what do we call it, a duty, an assignment, uh, role, yeah. what that entails, and how it uh, may potentially differ from how some people just, oh, it's probably going to be like this or it's going to be like that. Well, let's talk about how everybody in the group, you know, in maybe more of an orientation context or anytime you're bringing new members into the group, uh, making sure that they have a clear clear sense of what that is. Uh, the, the biggest problem for professional warriors, so armed professionals, military LEOs, uh, is if their training did not prepare them mentally, emotionally for the realities of what they're going to face. When you have uh, soldiers or, or officers that in the, in the face of an overwhelming stimulus, just sort of shut down, it's because no one in their training background ever took them to that place before, which sure. is, is an example of, of poor training or unimaginative training. We know so much more about how uh, people you know, function in high-stress environments in this era than we did even 30 years ago. So you know, training ideally evolves uh, along with the, uh, the, the, the state of uh, the art of uh, the knowledge base that we're currently operating from, or it should. And uh, for anyone who is uh, watching this, who has a, uh, a, a, a team and uh, all well-meaning individuals doing all that they can, but not everybody knows everything. But what we can do to sort of mitigate that is the information's out there. You just have to know where to look. Now you do have to make sure that that information is, is, is qualified and it's uh, 
consistent with the operating procedures of, of your particular uh, house of faith, but information is out there. The fact that, well, we never trained this topic, we never trained that topic is no excuse. You know, once you step into this role, it is incumbent on you to be as good at it as you possibly can. So I, I hope I'm not overstepping uh, my bounds when I say uh, bold proclamations like that. No, not at all. I, you know, that's uh, that's something we're we're very uh, heavy-handed with around here is is making sure you have all the knowledge necessary because this is, I, I think for by and large for small churches, medium-sized churches um, who are watching this, it's because they want to stop being subjective in what they're doing. They want to start moving to more towards more objectivity, and so those statements are are, are definitely aligned with Protectors Toolkit for sure because. Uh, we cannot just wing it, you know. It's not just, oh, this is yeah. happening, and now we'll deal with yeah. it. Um, we we can't do that anymore, especially in this day and age where everybody has a cell phone, everybody's uh, litigious. Um, you know, we we just can't do that anymore. And so the, these warriors that, that show up to these events and, and these type of uh, broadcasts, they they get it, they understand. Um, and the, and the struggle really is, you know, I, I'm that warrior on Sunday or maybe Wednesday night, but my nine to five fits in the majority of my time. So I've got to be very intentional with what I do in, as far as training myself and my team. Yeah. So it's very, very important to illustrate that. I appreciate that. Yeah, well, and that, uh, and that of course is probably gonna be the, the chief limiting factor uh, for, for most of your audiences. I, ha I have a life outside of this role, which uh, doesn't mean that I don't take this role seriously, but, uh, you know, finite resources, finite time, finite availability, uh, finite amount of me to go around and meet my other obligations. So, you know, how, how can I uh, do my best uh, based on th those very real, uh, real world considerations? So yeah. uh, that that is always a good thing to point out. Yeah, absolutely. We love we all love to uh, live indoors and have central heat and air. So we've got to go somewhere to get that amount of money to be able to do that. And then it also allows us then to be church protectors tool uh, too. So um, very, very well said. So, and a lot of the protectors role, Mike, the, we're very defensive. Uh, we're not we're not typically offensive other than the times that we need to be offensive and be on the offense, I would say. Uh, we're not seeking vengeance, obviously. So building a good defense is, is what I, you know, espouse, you know, through all the training that we give. So, you know, I, I think this closely aligns, but would you say that mindset is um, is one of the best tools or, or being in the right mindset is one of the best tools for to build a good defense? Um, yeah, I, I like uh, that question. I, I think that uh, it, it allows us to talk about something that's, that's very important. Um, if we were to use a sports analogy, uh, it's often said that, you know, it's defense that wins games. Um, but when we use the term defense in the context of, you know, like a security role, uh, people immediately start thinking, well, that's just being reactive. You, you have to wait for something to happen, uh, which might be technically true, but you're missing the art of it. You're missing the opportunity to be truly exceptional at this thing. Um, the, in my law enforcement days, which were many years ago, guy, uh, I had this uh, unusual reputation for uh, 
having been in a lot of you know physical uh, confrontations and never having been hurt. And because I'm not a big guy, uh, that that would frequently come up, and particularly the more that I got involved in training, it's like uh, Mike. You know, are, are you sure you aren't starting these? Are you, you're not just cheap shotting people? It's like, how are you getting the jump on? I said, I don't get the jump on anybody. I'm, I, I believe so much in, in my amazing communication skills, you know, amazing to me, uh, <laughs> that I'm, I'm confident that, you know, that's just going to carry the day. The next thing I know, some guy's trying to tear my head off. Um, and I'm just, you know, being officer friendly here. So the thing that, uh, I think protected me and protects a lot of people, probably you, is that, yes, technically we could say that we're in this sort of, you know, defensive or reactive posture all the time because we don't uh, determine what other humans do. We respond to our, in our very best way, to what humans do. But if what a human is doing has taken you completely by surprise, you miss something. Sure. You miss something. So when we're being good at defense, we're being good at defense just like uh, a football team. They can read the offense. You're good at defense if you're in the right place at the right time. And you solve the problem as quickly and effectively as you possibly can. It's not just, I'm just going to sit here and wait. Something bad happens. I'll uh, I'll take care of it, I guess. But I'm just going to sit here and wait. That's it's the opposite of that. There 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 are so many opportunities to constantly be looking at what's taking place and asking yourself why why am I seeing this? Why is he sitting? There? Why did that guy walk in, look at the group, and then turn around and walk out? And why haven't I seen him before either? You know, why is that purse left after uh, first service and uh, it's it's kind of an odd shape. It looks it looks too big to be just a woman's purse. You know why 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 why? And then accompany those those perpetual self inquiries of why with, and if this then then what? If this then what? If this then what? So one of the reasons I never got hurt is I was already twenty steps into the fight in my mind just in case. You know. I'm still talking. I'm, I'm still a professional. I'm still hoping for the most, you know, uneventful outcome possible. But I'm always very aware that that may not be what they're interested in. And whatever they're interested in has a lot to do with what I'm going to do next. Sure. You know, regardless of how good I think I am at any one particular thing, you know, wh whether it's my assessment skills, my, my verbal intervention skills, you know, my my. Uh, guiding hands skills that sounds soft doesn't it um <laughs> my my good behavior encouragers what whatever you uh, refer to your dukes as um but you're always prepared for what may happen and, and the way that you do that doesn't have to be well you know I, I meditate for 90 minutes before every church service and i do this series of esoteric deep breathing exercises nothing wrong with my meditator friends and my breathing friends i mean we all breathe but it doesn't have to be complicated. It can be very, very simple. Why? Why am I seeing this? Why am I seeing that? Why is everything so normal right now? What would be the first thing that would indicate that things might not be normal? What, what are the sort of things I might be picking up on? If you can learn to ask yourself good questions and keep asking yourself good questions, two things will happen. You'll get better at doing this. And two, 
it will be more enriching. You'll get more out of it. Because if you wait for some something to break off in church in order to get proficient at intervening, <laughs> you may not get proficient because you everybody may be doing their job so well that you know they're just sort of creating this deterrence and, and good for you. But you're being effective uh, by default. You're just lucky you're effective. What we don't want to do is miss opportunities to, to deepen our, our skills, you know, to, to uh, build on that knowledge base. And you do that simply by dragging yourself through these scenarios, being relentless. I did that every day of my life when I was a law enforcement officer. I did it when I trained other law enforcement officers. Then I did it when I trained military personnel. I did it when I was a bodyguard. I never stopped asking questions. And the more of those questions you ask and then successfully answer, usually uh, the fewer problems you have. And one of the reasons that is, of course, is it forces you to be attentive to the environment. One of yep. the most deterrent aspects you can carry around is not like a big set of shoulders. It's this guy's paying attention. I'm not going to be able to get the drop on him or her. So was, was yeah. that, did that speak to the question? Oh, absolutely. Uh, you've hit a lot of the points that, that we typically hit, you know, the if this, then that thinking. Um, you know, we talk about the, you, you didn't say it in this term, but we talk about the OODA loop, you know, the OODA loop requires you to continue to ask questions and, and stay ahead of your adversary that way. Um, and we know, and you know, this, uh, capability, uh, obviously builds humility. And maybe another way to say that is a good defense builds a great offense. So yeah, abs absolutely. Uh, yeah, and, all and, I, and I think that that's a very good way to, to say it. Um, there was uh, a million years ago uh, when I was, you know, small, weak and, and, and afraid of everything just because of uh, the things that I had experienced growing up. Uh, once I decided to try to turn that around, I, I sought ways to make myself strong, even though I was still small. And I sought ways to make myself more skilled because I was still small. And that sort of started a, a long, uh, very uh, concerted uh, journey uh, on the road of, of martial arts and to the point where I you know, er, earned a, a lot of ranks and accolades and so forth. But what uh, and, and people within this community sort of understand it, but I think the point is important enough that uh, I will uh, I will say something that I think all of us already know. And when when I meet somebody who is outside of my world, you know, and, and they hear the resume and it sounds kind of extreme and they'll they will ask me questions as though i must just be thinking about fighting all the time i must be itching to you know get into a fight all the time just for the practice just for the exhilaration that you know some strange guy like me must derive from those sorts of activities and i say no it's it's the opposite of that i say i am the most laid-back person you will ever meet ever meet and the reason yeah. for that is when you you develop a certain level of, of proficiency at anything, um, but, you know, we're talking about church, okay? Every church has somebody, maybe several somebodies who play the piano really well, okay? That is a person who's not worried about how they're gonna get through the, the music next Sunday. They, right. They've solved those problems years ago. 
they can just go. Now they're still going to practice. They're, they're going to put the time in. So it sounds great because, you know, they take what they do seriously and they want to do well, but they don't stress about it. They, they, now they're at the point where they can just be in it and, you know, they're, they're doing it because it's a part of them. Um, now combative skills are a little different than, than playing piano in church, but if you have sought out those skills uh, for what I would describe as, as honorable reasons, you know, in an effort to, you know, grow yourself or just to be more capable for those who, who might depend on you, uh, then you can sort of free yourself of the psychological baggage of people who don't understand the world of violence. Uh, now, violence is scary because it's unpredictable. We can't control it. We, we, we just do our best with what we have. That's why we put time into getting good at it. You know, I will say I'm not a violent person. I'm just good at it. Um, but it's not something that we seek out. Once we sort of, you know, we lift the veil on violence, we demystify violence, we understand what it is that we can't make it go away. It's inherent in the human condition then what we do is we learn some effective ways to mitigate it and then we can just sort of let it go then we're not sort of plagued by it and worried about it you know geez in a few days it's going to be sunday and i'm going to be you know part of the church protection team and i'm really stressed by that um if you're still feeling that way um examine your training you know get with the rest of your team and just answer some questions or get some questions answered for yourself and get a little bit more solid on, on what it is that you're expected to do. Because, you know, a little bit of doubt on the front end is, is, is a reasonable thing. Even trained athletes, you know, can experience nerves and, and all of that. But, you know, understand what that is and uh, you know, get yourself to a place where even if it seems a bit overwhelming, you're still good with doing it. You know, it's like, okay, I get that this is going to be scary. I'm probably going to be a little freaked out when it happens, but I still believe in what I'm doing and I want to be part of the solution. I want to help. So I'm, I'm just, I'm going to keep confronting these things, which right now are still a little, you know, kind of stress inducing, but I also know over time that it's going to get better. You know, I'm going to get more comfortable with it. I'm going to get more proficient because everybody else on the team tells me they've gone through the exact same process themselves. And I believe them. I, I, I trust what they're telling me. So I'm, I'm going to, you know, continue to, uh, to follow this path because it's, it's the right thing to do for me. Yeah. Yeah. That's, you know, that's the easy definition of what is fear. Fear is simply having a problem with no solution. So we mitigate or, or reduce our fear by putting in that solution, whatever that is going to be. Um, yeah, absolutely on point with all of that. Perfect. So let me, let me ask you, Mike, did, was there just a pinpoint or, or can you pinpoint a time or, uh, just an event that kind of just turned turned the corner for you on this, where you you thought, you know, the mind the mind is a great weapon, or you thought, you know, being being mentally prepared and and going beyond that um, to having a great mindset. Is there just a point in your life where you, where a, slit, uh, a switch was flipped? Um, I like that question. Um, I'm going to have to say there wasn't a specific uh, incident. But there, there was a, a probably a specific month, I'll say, and it was it was very early on in young officer Gillette's career. Uh, that first year, I think it's pretty common uh, for for cops to be able to remember literally every day of every week of that first year because you were learning so much so quickly, 
and you know everything was new and you know you had to sort of process it and then by the start of year two hmm, some of these events seem to be on repeat yeah the faces change but you know i i seem to be doing a lot of the same things over and over uh so maybe they're they're a little less uh, dramatic but it was um it was december of 1990 for me uh i've been on solo patrol for a certain period of months and I was on Midnight Shift, which I, I absolutely loved uh, because it, it made the job so much easier. Uh, meaning yep. that when you're working during the daytime, you have to filter out uh, people who aren't bad guys. Okay, to use the technical term. Right. When it's three in the morning and uh, someone is in a building that's been closed for hours, the odds of them having any legitimate purpose are very slim. Sure. So you kind of know where, where this interaction is going to start at. You know, we're, we're, we're not sort of, you know, having our attention diluted by a whole bunch of extraneous uh, stimulus. Sure. So to me, uh, Midnight Shift was, was very simple. You, you saw the problem immediately. You solved the problem and uh, you solve it as well as you can. And when you're dealing with the overnight types you're you're dealing with crimes in progress you are you're dealing with people who have you know you know drinking drugs all night so they're making some uh, spectacularly horrible decisions and oftentimes you become a part of that cycle so the 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 number of uh of interactions i was having made me feel as though i, I was learning a lot very quickly and again it, it comes back to that uh strange point I pointed out, which was I kept having all of these fights, you know, it, on midnight shift, people want to fight the police. It's sure. just one, you know, you know, I'm a bad guy. This is one of the perks of the job. I'm going to try to swing at every cop and maybe I get lucky. Um, I mean, if I already know I'm going to jail, why wouldn't I? Sure. I can understand that. So uh, what would happen is, you know, there, there were just lots, lots of these physical confrontations. And it started with a, a moment of realization because my very first physical confrontation as a cop uh, occurred despite my eloquence, despite my, my sincere desire to solve this, this situation using words, pleasant, pleasant words. And the, uh, the other individual had no interest in words, was, was barely able to communicate uh, and had already wrecked a couple of people in the space of this tiny uh, apartment. And, uh, and I was so new, I wasn't picking up on clues. Like he was yelling out the sliding glass door of the third story apartment, yelling at the moon, just yelling <laughs> like, like almost like Lon Chaney Jr. And the Wolfman, it was, it was crazy. And yet I still insisted on going through my, you know, Academy prescribed. So, what, uh, what can we do to help this, you know, all of that sort of professorial nonsense. Uh, and I, and I was taking it so seriously. And then he just had had enough of, of me talking to him and he just, you know, lunged at me. And I remember the, it felt like seconds. It wasn't, but it felt like seconds where I'm having this internal dialogue with myself. It's like, why is he doing that? He's a, he's not just swinging at me. I've presented, you know, no aggression towards him, but there's three other cops in the apartment by this time. Certainly he can do the math that this is not going to end well. Sure. And I'm literally talking in my own mind when I have to get my hands on this guy, which, you know, I get my hands on the guy and, you know, everything's fine. 
But that was the first thing I noticed is, okay, it doesn't really matter how I think things should go or how I think things are going. There's another reality at work here. And that reality has a lot of influence on, on what's going to happen and what I'm going to have to uh, respond with and about. And that, that particular experience sort of informed all of these other things to the point where uh, I had uh, a pretty significant solo arrest because everybody it was like a blizzard and everyone else was, was other stuff. And I had to take down a guy who had a crazy rap sheet, attempted murder and blah, blah, blah. And he had just beat up everybody in a bar. And this was another guy who was almost without the power of speech. He was so drunk. Um, and he was very interested in fighting me as well. And it was just everything he did seemed to happen in slow motion. It was just uh, you know, now is that mindset, is that the ability to, you know, sort of read, engage the, the intention of, uh, your adversary? I, I don't know how you specifically break down everything that happened, but it was probably in that moment, which I think was like mid December, uh, of 90 that I realized that I, what I was accomplishing physically was not happening because I had, you know, these amazing Jackie Chan like skills, which I did anyway. Um, <laughs> If that was true, I'd be beating people like with a table lamp and an ashtray, which I never did. But what I was realizing in those moments, and this is a very long anecdote, is simply that this and this are intimately connected. And the more that I keep this engaged, you know, maybe the less I have to do with this, but certainly the more effective I'll be with this because it will be coming in at, you know, at the appropriate moments. And, uh, you know, hopefully for the appropriate amount of time and then, you know, easing off at the appropriate amount of time, because the more that the mind is involved, the less that we're sort of reacting emotionally. And yeah. uh, we've all we've all seen dash cam footage of an officer after a vehicle pursuit, you know, 20 minutes of like 120 miles an hour down, you know, a, a densely packed highway will get anybody, you know, completely out of the objective rational frame of mind and completely just, you know, you're just so full of rage that this person has almost killed a thousand people at this point and is probably going to get you in trouble and get you sued. And, you know, just all of these things spinning through your head. You're not necessarily making your best decisions after you get out of your car, sprint 50 yards to where this guy is. And it's like, oh, you think you're surrendering now? You know, it's like, <laughs> you have those moments where you have to immediately, like, boom, shut it off. And yeah. most people can, but not everyone. And it's the, it's the handful of people that just haven't quite mastered the emotional side of the equation who, you know, get in trouble. And then, you know, everybody looks bad as a result. And you know, we have all, all kinds of uh, discussions that are uh, very difficult to have. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I've definitely been in those situations where I call them Schrodinger's suspect, right? So either you are or you aren't, but whatever I think you are, maybe you are, maybe you're not. So, uh, yeah, yeah, I've def yeah, definitely that's, been that's there. That's a good way to describe it. Yeah. So how? Um, I, I think I know the answer to this question, but I think our uh, our listeners want to know this uh, because what they do comes from a uh, a servant's heart. Uh, so how important is passion with mindset? Um, it's, uh, I, I think that I, I would say it's not so much, you know, it's important, it's, it's inherent. Um, and 
the you know why would anyone want to do this particular assignment for example you know i i, I have not yet heard of a, a church security team that is compensated uh it's a way to serve uh in a way that not everybody is, is really equipped for or would would even want to uh and clearly everyone still understands the need for it. So, uh, you know, it's passion that drives something like that. And it's passion that drives um, anyone towards excellence in anything. So when I think of somebody with, uh, we'll say a strong mindset, uh, you know, we, we've used a couple of creative examples. Okay, so the, the person who plays piano at church uh, is probably better at playing piano than what the church actually needs. But, you know, anybody who is, is committed to excellence isn't going to, well, I only have to be this good at piano. It's like, I only have to be this good to be on the protection team. You know, I only have to be this good with power tools to be on whatever the committee is called at church that, you know, does improvements and repairs and things like that. Um, we want to be good at, at what we do. And, uh, you know, passion will drive uh, mindset. It drives improvements in mindset. It, it's what allows you to explore the higher ends of mindset. And uh, anyone who doesn't, I mean, one of the chapters in one of my books is about passion. So I, I think that's a, it's a very uh, pressing question. And I think that we have to, um, you know, open ourselves to that. And I think within the faith community that can uh, be a troubling notion or maybe people are conflicted. It's like, well, it shouldn't be about me. It shouldn't be because I want to do this thing. It should be out of a sense of, of duty. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm not going to try to, uh, you know, downplay one to the detriment of the other, but um, I think we can fulfill our, our Christian duties in, a, in, in ways that are very uh, emotionally satisfying that allow us to explore the you know the full gamut of our passions i i like being around passionate people uh i like people who who do things because they they feel called to do things those are the most interesting kind of people to me uh those are the kinds of people uh that enrich me the most and, and also that i have that i can learn the most from as opposed to people who are just you know very uh even-handed in their approach to absolutely everything. They're very analytical, and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, I'm certainly not downplaying the importance of, of intellect uh, and analytical thinking, but I, I like to, to maximize one's uh, intellectual capabilities as much as possible, you know, just a, a, a very rich sense of uh, this is something I, I, I really feel strongly about, and I want to explore that, because I think when you can unite those, those variables, I think what you get are people who end up in, in the realm that I refer to as mastery. So I think it's very important to answer your question. Very good. Very good. Yeah. I think it, it's got to come from a, it, you've got to be passionate about it because you, you serve, uh, like you said, it, largely uncompensated. Uh, and so when you serve others like that in that capacity, I think you have to have the passion that in the two uh, come together uh, nicely. Um, and a lot of this, I, I, I'm not afraid to say this. Um, anytime I've come out of my holster, there's even even skill and training that I've had and the, and the capability that I have. Anytime I've come out of the holster, I, I have a, 
a, a certain still amount of fear. Now, every, I think everybody has that fear within themselves. And it's only, you go two different ways. If you're untrained, you go a certain way, denial, deliberation, all this. Uh, if, if you're trained, then you have capability, you can recall and, and all this kind of stuff. So it, it, they, they definitely diverge there after you have that initial fear. So sometimes I think that holds us back also from achieving what we want in life, that fear of failure, the fear of I'm gonna be ridiculed or humiliated. Um, is there a way to use fear in a positive way? Um, that is a question that comes up. Um, I think the, the simpler answer is, I'm gonna say no, but it's a very qualified no because I'm, I move it in a different direction. Um, there, you know, there are people that say, well, you just, you, you, you rechannel your fear. It's like, um, no, I, I disagree with that. And there's some people that say, well, um, you know, you, you learn to make your fear go away. It's like, really? Um, what if you're a skydiver? Shouldn't <laughs> you maybe be a, a little, a, a little cognizant of the risks involved? Uh, if I'm having my brain operated on, I don't want a surgeon who's completely blase about cracking my skull open and, and playing around up there. I want somebody who's like, okay, here we go. I want somebody who's a little bit afraid every time. Sure. Um, if, if I'm coming out of my holster, I better be afraid. Yeah. Because things just got very dangerous. And things were dangerous before. I'm there, I'm there with a gun. Okay. You know, I, I've, I've already increased uh, the variables simply by showing up. If it's coming out now, whole other level of variables. Yeah. So the way that I look at fear is um, some stuff is scary. Life is dangerous. Life is full of risk, risks uh, that we think about and many that we don't. Um, and that's what life is. And life has always been that. I don't want to live in an unscary world. I don't want to live in a world where I don't occasionally feel fear. That's not living to me. Now, is that, does that mean that I'm taking my fear and I, I'm channeling it? No, because not everything is creating fear responses within me. Some stuff does. The dangerous stuff does. Uh, you mentioned some of my uh, feats of strength uh, during the introduction. Um, I'm a little bit afraid of every one of those. Every one of those have injured me at some point in time. But every one of those represents a challenge that uh, is uniquely compelling to me. So I still, at age 58, uh, I, I pursue those. Um, so, but that's not the right answer for everybody. Some, you, you can never pay me enough to do what you do, Mike. Well, A, I'm not going to pay you. Uh, and you shouldn't. If, if there's no if there's no compelling uh, reason for that, just like some people, you couldn't pay me enough to be on a church protection team. Fine, it's not for everyone, nor should it be. You know, there are infinite number of ways that, you know that we can serve, and that's that's great. You know, so so find what is a good fit for you. Uh, with with me and fear, um, you know, I work with a lot of athletes. And athletes have all, you know, fear of this, fear of that, um, you know, letting me down, letting the coach down, letting the team down, letting mom and dad down, you know, uh, looking, you know, ridiculous, not, not meeting my goals. There's, there's any number of things that you can be afraid of, even in a context that's completely non-life-threatening. You know, we, uh, you know, fear is just sort of 
the, this catch-all emotion that can be conjured up for any number of things. You know, I'm, I'm afraid that, uh, you know, my term paper was insufficient to maintain my 4.0 average, you know. Uh, anything that's meaningful, you know, life is meaningful. Life, uh, you know, can give us pause and give us moments where we can feel fear. Uh, the, you know, the athlete, uh, you, the, any context you can think of where something is deeply meaningful, there's going to be fear present. You know, I don't want to lose this thing. I don't want to fall short of this thing. I've committed my life to excellence. I don't want to let myself down. There's all kinds of ways we can experience fear. Now, that's a little bit different than the, you know, sort of uh, self-preservation uh, type fear that we experience in these sort of uh, church protection scenarios. But the way that you deal with this fear or here that's not really uh, life-threatening is the way that you deal with this threat, this fear over here that is. You know, you just, if you're the kind of person that can move into situations that are uncomfortable for you, you get better at it. The thing that, you know, you know this by just being you. Um, if you didn't continue to move towards danger, you would never have gotten as proficient as you are at mitigating danger. You, you have to keep moving towards, you know, the, the forest deep, you know, the dark cave, you know, the, the jungle cat, you have to get closer in order to figure it out. You know, yeah. when I spoke earlier, demystifying fear, that's what it is. You know, I can't, I can't figure something out from a distance. I have to get close to it. And I want to get close to it because I want to figure it out because I want to be good at this thing that I am doing, particularly if this is uh, an idea that I'm pursuing that is born out of the idea of service. Yeah. So if if it, if this is ser if this is service to me, if this is if this is my ministry, uh, I have a real obligation to do this well. It's not enough for me just to be doing it. I I, I need to, you know, breathe deep of all that it is, of all that it has to teach me, of all the ways that it can enrich me, of all the ways that it can scare me, of all the ways that it can stretch me. But I want to do it well. Yeah, that, that's so perfect. That's a that's a great answer. You know, fear is uh, you know the example coming out of the holster. There, because I have the fear, it it promotes excellence. You know, it promotes me to get to the range. It promotes me to learn everything I can about that firearm and how I integrate with it. Uh, and, and and it promotes me to learn the good and the bad, um, so I can be as effective a, of a weapon with that firearm in my hand. So. Yeah, fear, fear is a good motivator as long as it's taken in the right context. And then it, it does, like you right. said, it turns us towards that point of uh, being better at, at least managing or trying to mitigate that fear. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think that's a, that's a good point because there are enough things that we legitimately should be fearful of when, when we clear the holster. The thing that you don't want to be afraid of is, am I even competent with this thing? Am I yeah. even going to you know, contribute to a, you know, productive outcome, you know, based on what's going on. Should maybe I be stuffing this back in my holster? Should I just be stepping out of the room right now? Is that the, would that be the best thing? You, you don't want to have that going on. And the only way that you get past that is, you know, you, you commit to, uh, to getting good. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, here's a million dollar question for you, Mike, uh, for all of our, everybody watching this live, watching read some tips some ideas um some um 
you know, from the horse's mouth, so to speak, from the expert. I know you don't like that term, but from you, some tips uh, on how to improve mindset. Well, the first thing I would say is to um, is to accept the notion that you can, because there's a lot of people that said, no, it's just, you know, how you think it, that's fixed. You know, it's like by the time you're a grown up, it's like you're not changing anything. It's like, OK, as long as you hold that that particular view, you're going to make that come true for yourself. So, you know, the first thing that uh, anybody that I work with or any group is to accept the idea that however things are right now, if there are things that you want to change, they're changeable. Now, it won't happen just because we wish them different. We have we have to do the work. Uh, you know, I can show you a push-up, but if you don't do the push-up at some point, you don't derive the value of the push-up. Well, you know, there are mental push-ups that we can do. So if, if we commit to doing those and we do do them, you know, we can we can change how, how we process things. So that that's really uh, sort of the initial frame of reference I would start at. Uh, the next thing I would say is don't be satisfied with whatever training is provided you in the context of, of your protection team, meaning that's good. But don't be satisfied with just that. Become a discriminating consumer of, of good information. You know, I'll always seek out uh, more, you know, the, the more that you learn, not only the more proficient you become, the better teammate you become, the better resource you become to everyone else on the team. So that that would be another thing. Now, that's not really a tip. That's just me telling you, get, you know, get good. Well, that that's yeah. a tip because you need to get good. But <laughs> uh, as as far as mindset specifically, what I would say is just. A couple minutes a day, and you can do this while you're driving. Uh, you can do it at any point, but put yourself mentally at church. You're you're in the mode. You're you're in that protector role, and give yourself different problems to solve. You know things that uh, were introduced to you in training, perhaps things that you actually did, scenarios that you worked through in training, uh, and maybe they didn't go as smoothly as you'd like. Well, okay, let's let's fix that right now. So take yourself back back to that moment and affect a different outcome because you're doing things differently. Uh, Scenario-based training is huge. I, make, I, I used to teach this all the time when I was teaching armed professionals. I teach it to athletes all the time, different ages, different sports, doesn't really matter. But when you do it, it doesn't have to be for a long time. It doesn't have to be a punishing regimen. But even if you did it five minutes a day, Give those five minutes your full attention. Really commit to making it seem real in your mind and make it challenging on yourself. You know, give yourself some, some various variables to solve and you just continue to take yourself forward with that. And the, the tandem skill with sort of creating the scenarios that you then solve. And you know, I still, you know, at, at this point in time, other than my immediate family, nobody's really relying on Mike Gillette uh, for their personal safety. Uh, I still, when I, when I pull into a shopping mall, I'm asking myself questions. When I pull up to a convenience store, I'm asking myself questions. If I see uh, a car in an unusual location, I don't just blow it off. I, I try to solve what might be going on in my mind. And if I sort of do the, the arithmetic and it leads me to, you know, uh, call the local law enforcement agency, so be it. But I never shut off. I never shut off. You don't shut off. That, that's a huge thing. So 
scenario training all on your own. It's, it's very effective if you just, you know, give it uh, the attention that it deserves and then ask good questions. Always ask good questions, whether you are in the moment, you know, you're dealing with somebody who might be on the edge of, of you know, creating a problem. You're having two conversations at that point. There's this immediate conversation, but then there's the conversation you're having with you. Now, not, not, not the dopey conversation like I had in that apartment that one night where I'm asking myself bad questions. Why isn't he listening to what I'm saying? I'm being so effective. Well, clearly I wasn't. Uh, sure. Just because I understood me didn't mean that he understood me. So ask yourself good questions, whether something is not going on, that's a great time, but even when it is going on, so that you, you're not just sucked into possibly the, the emotional uh, manipulations that might be an intentional thing by this person, maybe several people that are solely designed to you know, divert your attention, you know, diffuse your focus and so forth. So accept that it is possible to get better it's, it's possible to change how you're, you're currently operating your mind and then, you know, commit to excellence, visualization or scenario based training, which is if those words seem a little cumbersome, just pretend different situations, you know, and then pretend that you are solving them. It doesn't have to be any more complicated sounding than that. And then ask yourself good questions. And also, too, um, when it's appropriate, if you see someone else on the team and they're dealing with a situation if they dealt with it well, what made you do that? You know, wh why, why, why did you do this rather than that? And if it didn't seem to go so well, delicately, um, what, what led you to ask that question? What led you to not ask a question? What led you to, to stand over here rather than over there? And you know, if you can create the right dynamic within your team that everybody can sort of question everybody because our intent is to get good at this and not worrying about sparing feelings, because that doesn't matter. What we want to do is we want to get good at it. You know, we owe it to each other to keep each other safe. We owe it to the congregation to keep them safe. Those are my tips. Yeah, perfect. Right on, right, right on time and very timely information. Uh, we had a question come in from, uh, I think, my brother, Pastor Bruin. Uh, he says, so would it be all right to do some Where's Waldo exercises with our team members and set some surprises up before a team walkthrough. Take it, Mike. Um, well, I'll, I'll give you my take on it. And then if, if you want to uh, embellish further, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. I think it's a good idea. Uh, when, uh, when I was training uh, Walt Disney uh, Park personnel after 9-11, because we found out that one of the places they wanted to crash a plane was Cinderella's Castle. Uh, so we trained a whole bunch of people whose sole uh, function as an employee was to spot terrorists. That's it. They had loss prevention. They had uniform security. These were basically just, just for that. So what did we do? We went into the park while the park was open. I don't know, Anaheim, 55,000 on an, on an average summer day. Okay. We would have eight to 10 different role players over the course of several days. And everybody found all of them every wow. time. Wow. So, uh, but uh, that's because, you know, the training was consistent and then the, the deployment of those, where's Waldo people, we'll use that, that phrase, uh, was consistent with the training. The trick with setting up that kind of an exercise is it can't be a, a stump the chump. It can't be somebody's just trying to, you know, turn it into entertainment on some weird level. And I've seen that happen 
years back. Old school police training would have these stump to chump moments where, you know, all of a sudden, you know, the, the wall opens up and a guy comes out firing blanks at everybody in the room. It's like that wall doesn't open up. This is a complete contrivance just, you know, uh, to make a point that uh, you're clever. So as long as uh, you think about the current level of training that the team has and you're sort of operating within that, that skill level because we don't want to create scenarios that only Delta Force can solve. Yeah. That, that's not going to be productive. It's like, hey, I guess you're not good enough to be Delta Force. Well, that was yeah. never really the goal. So why did we go through all of that? But because I've seen that happen, I'm belaboring that point. But it's absolutely uh, a valuable thing. And it also can create experiences of success. Oh, my gosh, I can do this. Yep. I thought it seemed kind of like, you know, voodoo and mind reading, but no, this, this is actually like, you know, I'm keying off human cues that are sort of universal to humans. So take it away, guy. Yeah, absolutely. Perfect. We're aligned on that, Mike. You know, we, um, we, we want to work to the level of our team and we want to be objective based in our team and our, in our training. What is the objective we're trying to accomplish with this uh, and working within that and let them allow, allow them to have a learning experience, but also allow them a couple wins. Uh, to be very, very nerdy with this, we don't want to create a Kobayashi Maru kind of scenario from Star Trek where it's just an unsolvable problem. Um, so you have to get very creative and say, oh, we would have jumped down from the ceiling and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. So be very objective based in your training with this and what you what you expect your outcome to be or what you want your final outcome to be. And you'll be just great with that, uh, Jay Paul. So I appreciate that question. Uh, Mike, just, just in the final moments here, how can people get more of you how can more people consume more mike gillette uh, uh tell me about your books tell me about uh how people can connect with you well uh appreciate that guy basically what i've been uh, up to since 2012 uh, that's when i worked my last protection detail and i became uh, self-employed with all of the stress fee living that that entails <clears throat> the uh the space that i occupy now is is really sort of in the uh the, the self-improvement or, or the personal development space, uh, physical side, mental side, more, more on the mental side. But again, because I don't see any uh, sort of uh, clear division between the two. So MikeGillette.com is, is sort of the home of uh, the stuff that uh, people can get. There are some uh, ancillary products that I have that I don't actually own that other people sell. So I've got some strength training resources. They're, they're very good. I, I don't sell them. They're very easy to find. Uh, you can find my books on my uh, my Amazon author page. Uh, MikeGillette.com basically will take you to one or two products, which are really all about you know mind exercises. They are what I call non-denominational, meaning that uh, athletes use them, but anyone can use them. You know, soccer moms use them. You know, entrepreneurs use them. Uh, all kinds of folks, young, old, and so forth. Uh, and they are just simply uh, generic to the furtherance of, of personal development. Uh, the other stuff I have out there, in addition to uh, strength training products, I've got a probably the most comprehensive self-defense uh, video package on the market. Also probably the cheapest, reallifedefense.com. Uh, I don't own that product, but it's like nine and a half hours of, of different video uh, eBooks that accompany that. Everything from uh, you know going hands-on, some things that are specific for women just because of you know the, the size uh, uh, disparities they're typically dealing with, how to break up fights, uh, multiple opponents, 
active shooter, preventing your kids from being abducted. Uh, like I said, it, it goes on and on, and it's uh, it's pretty economical. So it might be of interest to, to this particular audience, but it's not uh, taught in the context of, of like team tactics. So, you know, if I was teaching a, a church protection team, there's a lot of, you know, two and, and three man things that I teach. I teach how to, uh, you know, incorporate, uh, you know, in the airline training realm, we call them able-bodied passengers here. They're just, you know, <laughs> proximal congregants and yep. in how to uh, interact with them and, and, and elicit their, their assistance under duress, those types of things. But uh, yeah, MikeGillette.com and uh, I'm, I'm very uh, visible on social media where I am probably the preachiest middle-aged man on the interwebs. I, I love it. Every time you put something out, it impacts my life. It, it takes me back to a point in my life. Uh, we, had, we had kind of similar paths a little while. Uh, so, uh, you know, I can visualize when you're writing, I, I get visualization. So I, I sure appreciate that on the, on the Facebook and the interwebs there. Very good. All right. Well, thank you, Mike. Thanks for being on tonight. I'm going to close this out here pretty quickly. Protectors, uh, I appreciate you all being here. You warriors standing up, standing tall for your churches to make sure that people can worship in a safe and secure environment. If you're new here, don't forget to hit that subscribe button on our Facebook page. That way you'll get all the notifications that we have when we have training like this. We have conversations like this. And don't forget to go over to our YouTube page where this video will be. And you can see all the other Warrior Wednesdays that we had over there with our other featured guests. This Saturday, Protectors, this Saturday, Preparation Response and one-hour training online with me. Go over Preparation Response to an Active Killer event in your church. It's only $15. Very easy cost to get into. And we'll have some Q&A built into that as well. So if you have some specifics for your church, uh, make sure you come over and visit us on the on this Saturday. It's only again fifteen dollars to get into the, the, to this great e-learning source. Uh, and also, don't forget to go to the membership site. This is what we're all about here at Protectors Toolkit. Go and join our membership site. If you use the promo code Warrior Wednesday, the promo code Warrior Wednesday, you'll get your first month at only ten dollars. Ten dollars for is very easy to get in. See what we're all about. See where your continuing education is for your church. So when those nine to fives happen, when your day-to-day -day life, Monday through Friday happens, you can still get in, consume content, figure out what you're going to train on for the month. We have training plans in there uh, that you can get into and very easily get your team involved with that goes beyond just uh, showing up. And we're going to talk about guns. And it is a lot of training in there to go from good, better, best, and your church safety and security. And Warriors, as always, what I close out with is this. Don't forget, keep them safe.